Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. It's my um, pleasure to introduce our guest speaker for this morning. Steve McCready is uh, the senior minister at Riverview Church and a relative newcomer to our city. You'll pick up an accent that he's got. He might have to explain that, or we might need some subtitles. But um, I've really, really enjoyed getting to know Steve over the last um, year or so since he's been here and uh, have discovered in him something of a kindred spirit. He's given me this little spiel. I'm going to read this to you. It just tells you a bit about who he is. Uh, Dr. Steve McCready is the senior minister at Riverview Church. Before relocating to Western Australia, Steve served in Baptist churches across Canada and is still involved in Baptist seminaries in Canada and the United States, mentoring ministry students in their MDiv and doctoral programs. Married to Rebecca, a kindy teacher, and has two children who are part of the Cary community. The McCready family love traveling, rock climbing, hiking, movie nights, and beach days. Uh, sounds like a Tinder advertisement, doesn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, Steve, we're happy to go on a date, but we're not looking for anything too serious at this stage. God bless you, Steve. Let's give him a warm welcome as he comes. Thanks so much, Nick. That's my, uh, that's my Baptist bio. I just bring that out when I go to Baptist churches. But you can't tell anyone. Actually, the good folks at Riverview still don't know that I'm a Baptist. So that's like on the hush-hush, on, on the down. In fact, just don't tell anyone that I was at Mounties this morning, okay? Because I'm not sure that I'm allowed to be here. I think my visa is very specific that I'm only allowed to work at Riverview. So I don't really, so just don't tell anyone I was here. And if this sermon is like, if it's any good, you can just credit it to Nick Scott. He, like he had COVID or something and his voice was a little... If it's not that good, just put it on the website as Mark Wilson Part 2. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll be good. Guys, I'm really, really happy to be here. Really excited to be a part of this series. Nick asked me to come and speak to you as a community about being other-centered. And as I was thinking about that... I was thinking how we will never, as a people, as God's people, be other-centered until we are ourselves-centered. And what I mean is not that we are centered on ourselves, but we ourselves are centered on some immovable theological ideas. And I want to talk to you about one of those this morning. And it's a big idea, and I want to take you on a journey of trying to explain it, because it could be a life-changing morning for some of the people that are gathered here and, and gathered online. Today, I want to talk about how God is a God of friendship. And if we can begin to wrap our head around that, it can change just about everything. If you have your Bible, we're going to read together from the book of Exodus, just a couple of verses in 33, and then a couple of verses from chapter 34. You'll be very familiar with these verses, but what you might not be familiar with is how they connect together. The first passage is about Moses, the friend of God. Exodus 33, 9 to 11 says this, Moses went into the tent, an outdoors man like myself, 
The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped. You can imagine they're gathered, the expectation. They're not really sure what's happening on the other side, behind the doors. But here's what they do know. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, we know that this is figurative, imaginative language. No one can look in the face of God and live because God is holy. But what the writer is trying to help us understand is in this relationship, there is intimacy. And the best way to understand this relationship is friendship. Moses is a friend of God. Now, it's into that friendship, the context of friendship, that the next component comes along. That's found in Exodus 34. And this is a significant moment in not just the history of God's people, Israel, but actually history. Because this is the moment when the God of Abraham and Isaac chooses to reveal himself again to a people who do not know him. They don't even know who he is. This is the moment of revelation. Now, what is revelation? Revelation is actually the uncovering of something that was unknown, now becoming known. God is unknown, and he's going to become known, and it's actually into the context of friendship that God becomes known. So let's, let's read these verses. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, so with Moses, his friend, stood there with him and proclaimed his name. So here, The Lord God is revealing himself, and he does it in in the sense of how he reveals his name. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he's holy and just as we know, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, but he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and the fourth generation. These stories are connecting together revelation and friendship. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Here's what I hope that you will take away from this message today. Friendship with God is an actual thing. Now, over the years, I've had lots of side hustles. I have ADD, so focusing is a challenge. And when it comes to being a pastor, here's something you need to know about being a pastor. It's really samesy. Like, it's just, there's a kind of cyclical nature to it. It's the same stuff over and over, the same sin being confessed, the same complaints, the music's too loud, the curtains are too boring, you know, oh, and, and when you move around like I have done, you move to different continents and different people groups, it's actually just all the same. And so one of the ways that I've kind of kept myself sane throughout my pastoral ministry is that I've just had lots of side hustles. So I work as a fitness instructor, I worked as a police chaplain, as a leadership consultant, as a professor in a seminary. I I just love having lots of things to do. And over the last number of years, kind of the main kind of side hustle in my life has been exploring this idea of friendship. 
For some reason, despite the fact that I was a pastor, surrounded with people, a great family, great churches, great connections, great community, I still felt in myself really lonely. Like, I'm a lonely person. What is going on, man? So I gave myself to this study of friendship and this particular idea that we're talking about today, the theology of friendship. And so that's what I actually wrote my doctoral thesis on. I wanted to understand how friendship shapes us, forms us, kind of puts in us leadership, how that all works together, how it connects our faith and our formation and the mission of God in the world. Now, here's what I want to tell you. The problem with opening the Bible and actually beginning to study and mine its texts for friendship, here's the problem. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's kind of like Colonel Sanders at KFC. Once you see his little arms and legs, you'll never have the same experience at KFC ever again. I, I, I realize KFC is probably not helpful when talking about scripture. Maybe, maybe a better picture might be for my 40th birthday, whenever my wife took me to see the Grand Canyon. And as we walked across the car park of the Grand Canyon, I was doing that thing that Irish men do. We're kind of moans, grumpy, a little bit sad about everything. As we're walking across the car park, this is literally what I'm saying to my wife. I bet it's not that grand. <laughs> you know what these Americans are like? They just blow everything up, literally and figuratively. And so I'm walking across the car park, yapping on to Rebecca, you know, but it's not that grand. But, and then you get, if you, some of you have been to the Grand Canyon, right? I know that because Aussies are great travelers. And you get to the edge of the car park and you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you're undone, right, in that moment by just how, well, just the depth, the vastness of the experience that you're having. I want to suggest that when you take the subject of friendship, and actually come to Scripture with a desire to understand and see friendship, you're going to have one of those experiences where everything absolutely changes forever. Our story this morning is not the story of Moses. Moses is part of this story, yes, because he's a friend of God. He receives the covenant from God. But here's the thing that I want to show you. That's not a one-off experience. This is actually part of a pattern that is right there in Scripture for all of us to see. So to do that, I need to take you on a little bit of a whistle-stop tour. Back in December 2021, whenever my family and I arrived in Western Australia, after we got released from our two-week imprisonment at the Pan Pacific Hotel, which formerly we called quarantine, but it really was an imprisonment, we actually got picked up by some of the lovely folks at Riverview Church, and they took us in an old 1950s open-top fire engine to do a tour around Perth and to see our new home. And it was an amazing experience because for the two weeks before that, we had been staring out a little window in a hotel room, and we couldn't see very much of the city at all. Now, we could see a couple of things. We could see a little Irish pub just down there. It was like the glory. 
But then just across here, we could see a little strip of grass and a little bit of the river, and that was about it. And so every day, we would see a little bit of a boat go back and forward, but we didn't really know what that boat was. It was, of course, the ferry that goes back and forth across the river. But on this little strip of grass, at the same time every day, 2 p.m. every single day, we could see a gentleman. He would walk across onto that strip of grass, and he would take off all his clothes apart from his tidy whities and he would just lie in the grass and just bask in, the, I guess, the sun here in Western Australia. And so for two weeks, my wife and I would see this and just think, what on earth have we signed up to do? Coming here at the same time every day for 30 minutes, clothes came off, the clothes went back on and off he went. Anyway, after our two weeks in quarantine, we get picked up, we get taken on a tour around the city, the city that you know you're very familiar with, but for us, it was all brand new. And we finish up at King's Park. And whenever you're up at King's Park in the viewing gallery and you're overlooking the city and we could see it all, we could see the Pan Pacific and we could see that it wasn't a tiny little bit of grass. It's a huge piece of grass and we could see the boats go back and forth. And so it was almost like what we could see has now kind of panned out and we can see how it all fits together. That's what I want to do today. I want to help you understand the scriptural theme that God is friend. Now, to do that, we're going to start uh, very quickly just at the beginning. And the beginning is this. It's the Trinity. It's God himself. And this important theological idea, it's called perichoresis. It's basically how God interacts with himself within the Trinity. Now, we're not going to stay there very long. I need to try to keep you awake this morning. But Jonathan Edwards argues this in a dissertation concerning the end for which God created the world. He says this, that the only reason God would have had for creating us was not to get, cosmic, get the cosmic love and joy of relationship, because he already had that, but it was to share it. So basically what Edwards is trying to say is this, the whole point of creation is an overflow of the relationship that already exists within the Godhead. This amazing relationship between Father, Son, and spirit. That's kind of where this story all begins. Now, you know how the story unfolds, right? Hopefully you've been around church long enough to know the creation story, as beautiful it is, doesn't go well. And here's something that's relevant to friendship. Sin is always antisocial. Have you ever thought about that? Like, where does sin really, where does the rubber hit the road with our sin? It's in the context of our relationships, Sin is always antisocial. It always breaks our lives, ultimately, in the place of friendship. And as you know, that's what happens. Broken friendship between God and his creation. Now, come, you still with me? Yeah. All right, okay. So God being so gracious and abundant in his love, that's who he is, right? That's who he said he is when he reveals himself. He actually puts in place some ways of trying to draw his people back into relationship, back into friendship with himself. He gives a series of, let's see how your Bible knowledge is here at Mount East, a series of, keep going, commandments, covenants, right? You're familiar with that term? So God gives his people a series of covenants to try to hold them into relationship legally because they're just so disobedient and they keep, you know, they're stiff neck bunch just like ourselves. So we should kind of get this. Now, here's what I want to say in the context of all these covenants. 
God mediates his covenants through his friends. Okay? Now, I'm from, and hopefully you've heard it in the accent, I'm from Northern Ireland. Anyone here from Northern Ireland? Sometimes, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, Gladys. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, everyone. If you know anything about Irish history, you know that over 30 years, Northern Ireland was plunged into a conflict between the British state and the Irish Republican Army. And I actually grew up in the middle of that war. And more than that, it was very personal and very intense for me and my family because my father was in the security forces, which meant that I grew up in a home where my dad always carried his gun. We had bulletproof glass. We had security cameras. And my job as a little boy was to crawl under our family car every morning to check for bombs. That, like, that was actually a part of my story. Now, thankfully, Northern Ireland's a different place today. And if you get the chance to go, you absolutely should go. It's an amazing place. Back in 1999, a peace deal was finally agreed. It was an amazing thing. Two communities were coming together after 30 years of war. But here's what happened. As the communities came together, someone had to hold their hands because there was a disconnect between one generation and the next. There was a disconnect between politicians and the ordinary people on the streets. And so when they gathered together to announce this peace deal, they actually had to bring a mediator in. And this is the mediator standing between the two politicians, one from either side. Now, some of you are too young to know who this guy in the middle is. Some of you have class. This is Bono from U2. Bono was the mediator who held both sides and kind of walked us as two communities into a place of being one community together. The Bible's story shows us this, that God selects people to stand in the place of the fractured relationship that exists between him and his creation. Now, let me show you how this works. I'm going to go really quickly here, so sorry for all the note takers. I want to get, I'm trying to get somewhere with this message. Here's a bunch of the covenants. In fact, here are the covenants. And let me, this is really just me showing you how this works. So God has the Adamic covenant that he makes with Adam. This is the covenant that he makes with, I guess, all of creation to talk about the conditions that will hold sway until the curse of sin is lifted. Who mediates this covenant? It's Adam, the man who walked in the garden, the man who walked in, intimacy and friendship with God. In fact, the first person to play a game of hide-and-seek with God, which is kind of what friends do. There's the Noahic covenant. That's kind of tricky to say when you're an Irishman. You can't really say your vowels, and there's about five of them in there. It's God's covenant with Noah, a commitment to maintain the inherent relationship between creator and creation, the natural order, that he's not going to flood the earth again. What do we know about Noah? We know that Noah walked with God. It's biblical, symbolic language of friendship. There's the Abrahamic covenant. The book of James identifies Abraham as God's friend. Abraham mediates this covenant to the world, a covenant of promise that God's making for himself a people. Every tribe and tongue, every family on this planet will be blessed through this covenant. Then, of course, the one we looked at already, the Mosaic covenant, where God establishes a community for himself, gives them the law, gives them a mission. They are blessed to be a 
blessing. There's the Davidic covenant, which God gives to his people through David, a promise that a descendant of David will reign on the throne of God forever. Right? This is good stuff. God gives covenants. He gives and mediates those covenants through his friends, right? You can kind of see the theology that we're building here. Here's what I really hope you'll take away from today. God always administers his work in the world through his friends. Okay, now let's hit fast forward on the timeline. I don't want to be one of those typical Pentecostal preachers that only uses the Old Testament, okay? We're going to come all the way up into the New Testament here. This is kind of like a back to the future moment. Any back to the future fans? All right, I'm with my people. Love it. Do you know what? Do you know why Back to the Future is special to me? The DeLorean car was actually manufactured in Belfast. So, but so was the Titanic. So don't put a lot of sway into our ability to make good stuff. Anyway, you'll know in the, in the story of Back to the Future, the time traveler gets into the time machine. He's able to plug in a very specific time and place that he wants to travel to. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to plug in a very specific time and place. We're going to time travel to the upper room that John documents in his Gospels. The final supper is about to take place. Jesus is gathered there with his disciples. Jesus is giving a sermon. He's actually preaching from the book of Isaiah. Now, most people can't really see that in the Gospel of John, but that's actually really what's happening there is he preaches a message, but they only document the kind of, do you know on a Monday after Pastor Nick preaches, you don't want to listen to his whole sermon again? So the social media team take like the little clips and they put them up there and you're like, that'll do, the 30 second. Why can't they just make sermons 30 seconds? That's what we all think every Monday. It's actually more tricky for me at Riverview because my social media team are all from Asia and they have to try to understand my crazy Irish accent. And so quite a lot of what they put up on our social media on Monday morning isn't actually anything that I've said at all. So most of my Monday is like, can we delete that? I didn't say that. That's heresy. Our church is going to get burned to the ground. So anyway, you just have to trust me and I'm going to show you how this is. But what, before I kind of set the scene with the text... I want to I want to kind of preempt it by saying what I'm going to show you here is tectonic in nature, like is an absolute game changer. A number of years ago, my family and I had the opportunity to travel up to Iceland. Iceland is otherworldly; it, it truly is spectacular. Just a couple of hours outside of Reykjavik, the capital, you come into this amazing valley where two tectonic plates actually push up together. On one side of this image is the North American plate. On the other side is Europe and Asia, two tectonic plates, and they meet in Iceland. And it's this amazing thing because they come right together and then you can walk right down the middle. And it was kind of cool doing that with my kids and they'd be running over to one side and jumping on, we're in America, and then running over to the other side, we're in Europe and Asia, and back and forth but they were so close together. And I guess what I want to show you today in these next scriptures is tectonic in nature, but it's closer than you can imagine. Jesus has been sharing with his disciples from Isaiah 41. We're just reading the application of the sermon. That's what we're seeing in John's gospel. But this is what Jesus 
saying, Isaiah 41, verses 8 to 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest, farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In the context of Isaiah 41, what we're being reminded of is that God mediates his covenants in the world with his friends, but his people are not his friends. His people, the people of Israel, are called his servants. You are my servant. The context of the passage being, I'm equipping you, Isaiah 41, I'm equipping you to live out the blessing of God in, in the world. Now, here's Jesus. He, he preaches this passage, then he brings it to the point of application. John 15, this is what we read together. You'll see all the same themes woven together. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Look at this. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. Back to Isaiah 41, I called you. I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Guys, here's the tectonic shift from one tectonic plate to the other. In the new covenant, that's what's happening in, in the upstairs room, right? You know that. We celebrate it together when we break bread and we drink juice. It's a new covenant that's being put into place. In this new covenant, we are all invited into friendship. No longer does a covenant come to us mediated by someone else, but we become the very friends that are part of this covenant being enacted in the world around us. Now, that's huge. And there are probably a hundred ways of applying this, but today I just want to share a couple with him, a couple with you. Because of Jesus, God directly relates to us as his friends. Like, how good is that? Now, most of us can somewhat believe that God might love us, but we would never dare to dream that he might actually like us. Because of Jesus, God relates to us as his friends. Maybe you need to know that. Maybe you need to hear that or begin to believe that this morning. And here's the second thing. Because of Jesus, we are now given the responsibility as friends to live as mediators of his new covenant in the world. We are invited to walk in the world as friends. Friends of God, friends of one another, friends of other churches and Christians, something that Mounties does so well in our city, friends of sinners. Now, that's a whole other sermon, so you'll have to invite me back for that one, Nick. Now, I'm not saying that the servant paradigm 
doesn't exist anymore. The context of that paradigm is for leadership, so it absolutely exists. But for you and I, our everyday life, we're invited into a new way of relating with the God of the universe, and that's as friends. You know, part of my story is really a story of being a middle-aged man with an identity crisis. Kind of what I mean is I have three passports, a British one, which means I love the Queen, an Irish one, which means I don't really like the English very much apart from the Queen. (laughs) I'm also a Canadian, which means I actually really like everyone, and I say sorry a lot. Identity's confusing. But you know, part of the identity that has been become very clear in my life is that I'm a friend of God. And as part of that, I'm called to walk in the world as a friend to all. And if you want to think about where do you start on the journey of being other-centered, I think you have to start here. Can I tell you a personal story? I think I have enough time. I'll go as quick as I can. When we were in Canada, and God was in the process of calling us to Australia, my wife and I were really, really in that place of doubt. Before you do a mad thing for God, you kind of, you hit the wall. Your faith runs low and you get into doubt. And we were just in that process of informing our church in Canada that we're going to be saying goodbye to them, and we're taking this call in Australia. And so we told some of the elders, some wise people, And then we were preparing for this big day here in Perth, Western Australia, when someone was going to stand on a stage at Riverview Church and announce, here is your new senior pastor. And they were going to put a picture up of me, and everyone was going to be massively underwhelmed by all five foot eight of me. And this day, when this announcement was going to be made, was causing such stress for my wife and I, because... It was going to be going online. It was going to the world. And at that point, the kind of everything's out in the open. Everybody knows that we're leaving Canada. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. We knew it was going to be a season of broken hearts and broken trust and all the pain that comes with all those moves. So Rebecca and I, like we were losing sleep over this. And then on top of that, Riverview being Riverview, they had wanted us to make a video to introduce ourselves to the church, but they like do things super fancy and that's not how I roll at all. And so I had a phone. That's how I was going to make my video on a phone and it was stressing me out. And so at night when Rebecca and I would be, you know, lying in bed and chatting about this, we had this kind of secret way of talking about this particular Sunday. We called it the big reveal. We talked about the big reveal. We were all into like America's Got Talent and all those kind of shows. So we talked about the big reveal and we never talked about it in front of our kids. We never talked about it in front of anyone, but it was causing us high anxiety, the big reveal, the big reveal. Anyway, I started chatting to a couple of pastor friends about this and they just encouraged me, Steve, just just pray about this. Like, just pray about it. And then they said, actually, I want you to go further than that. Don't just pray about it. Actually, want to ask God to speak to you about this. You know, in 1 Thessalonians, it says, don't suppress the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. God speaks to us through one another. So they actually challenged me over lunch. They said, ask God to speak to you about this, about this whole journey, about Australia, all that stuff. And so I did. Driving home from that lunch meeting, I said, God, I'm open. 
give me a prophetic word. Like, speak to me. Now, I'm a Baptist, so I mean, speak to me in a way that I understand, you know. Um, anyway, I did what you do. You say a prayer, you forget about it. A couple of days later, a lady from my congregation calls me up and says, Steve, I need you to come over. I, I, I need to chat to you. Now, this is an elderly, Anglican background lady. I in no way expected that the God of heaven was going to speak to me through this lady. In fact, I just thought I was going to go do that pastor thing. The music's too loud. The carpet's not great. We need new curtains. You know, I thought that's what I was going to. So I went in to sit in this lady's house to visit with her. We warmed up. We talked about family and friends. And, and the conversation didn't really go anywhere. And then it kind of had a bit of a lull, and I thought, okay, now is my time to exit. So I'll let you into a little secret. When the pastor's ready to go, he says, can I pray for you? So, <laughs> so that's what I did. I said, sorry, Nick, to let that one out of the bag, too. I thought, I, I'm, I'm getting out of this one relatively unscathed. There haven't been any complaints about the music. Everything's been amicable. This is great. And then I said, can I pray for you? And she said, no. She said, I, I brought you here today because I've been praying for you. And when I was praying for you, the master actually spoke to me. And he told me to write something down for you. And so I've written you a copy. But before I give it to you, I want to read it to you. And in that letter that I still have, it's, just, it's three things that I've been very much wrestling with. At the time, I'd had a broken ankle from a rock climbing incident, and it wasn't getting better. And it was like, Steve, as I was praying for you, the Lord said, he's going to heal your ankle. And I thought, that, that's great. But, you know, like, yeah, it's a little bit loose. You know, anyone, that's well-meaning. And then she said, also, I know you're, you're kind of worried in this next season for your kids. I just want you to know, like, your kids are going to, your kids are going to flourish. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's great. I really appreciate that. I think I've, I've kind of been burned out by prophetic stuff over the years. I'm sure some of you might have had the same experience. You know, the, the pictures that don't make sense. And so you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out, well, what did that actually mean? And so I wasn't particularly open, but I was listening. And then this is the third thing. She says, but Steve, here's what I got from God. When I was praying for you this morning, he said, tell Steve to stop worrying about the big reveal. Like, how good is that? Do you know, in that moment, I couldn't breathe. Like, I thought my chest was going to just explode. I couldn't even phone my wife. I was trembling because the God of heaven broke into my life again. But here's, here's the big takeaway from that moment for me. God's my friend. Like, he knew what I needed, and he came close with that because that's what friends do. God is the God of friendship. On the border between Spain and France, there's a river that runs up the middle. And in that river, there's a little island called Pheasant Island, Ile de Faison. What's really bizarre or unique about this island is that it constantly changes its identity. For the first six months of the year, it's French. And for the second six months of the year, it's Spanish. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
I think part of the challenge that we face in being others-centered as Christians is that we flip and flop in our own identity. Sometimes we're saints and sometimes we're sinners. Sometimes we're full of faith and faithful, and sometimes we're the complete opposite. And because we go back and forth and all over the place, then we never actually move beyond that into what God calls us to be. And so what I wanted to do today was offer you something fixed, something tectonic in nature, something to be centered on as a community, and it's this, you are friends of God. And your job as his friends is to mediate his covenant in the world by befriending all. Let's pray together. Lord, would you move in our hearts and our lives this morning to believe for a moment that you want to do business with us face to face in the space of friendship. That it's great to serve you, Lord, but you don't call us servants. You call us friends. And I just pray that that would be a truth that would recenter us and then equip us for the next season of our lives and our ministry here at Mounties to know that we didn't call you, you called us. And now you're sending us to go and to bear fruit. And we know it's possible when we walk in friendship with you. So we thank you for this time together and for your word, which is powerful and mighty. Let it do its good work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.